Thank you for listening to this message from Flow Church, a brand new church plant in the city of Melbourne, Australia. We pray that this word will help you experience and express the goodness of God in every sphere and season of life. So today I'm going to be reading from one of the most famous passages in all of Scripture. This passage shows up, especially, I think, during weddings, and that is 1 Corinthians 13. How many people who got married and that's the Scripture reading at your wedding? couple of people no 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 yeah you guys you guys went song of songs or something you guys went oh my god so but but this is a this is a this is a this is a passage that i think is familiar to many of us um even for those who might not go along to church this is a passage that yeah i think people um people hear a lot but um even as i read it let, let us not be familiar with the words and kind of glaze over and like you know sometimes in church my brain opens up tabs in my mind and i've glazed over but let's really try to listen to these words and let it hit us as if we're hearing it for the very first time again. So I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, um, and I'll be reading the entire chapter. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardships that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrong. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Today, if you're um, needing a title for this message, um, you, can, you can entitle it, Love Without Failing. Love Without Failing. And this is one of those passages where I feel like it's an awesome piece of steak where you don't want to do too much to it. You know, it's so good all by itself. You don't want to cover it with sauce. You don't want to like embellish it. You're just like, let's just keep it simple. Let's just meditate of it on it and savor it. It's it's one of those things where you do you really need a sermon? Like honestly, you can just read that and just kind of let it sit with you and let it convict you and make you feel terrible about <laughs> how you're not loving people the way um you should. Uh, but I'm gonna try my very best to to help kind of like bring some of um, some, some of these points um, 
to greater significance for us. And I think as I was preparing, because this is still the second service um, of the year and just thinking of like, you know, at the start of the year, how do we want to set our intention and set our ourselves and, and the culture of 2024? What, what do we want our lives and our community to be like? And I felt God to, to challenge uh, myself and to challenge all of us again to think about love. Um, and I think, especially as a church, when we're growing and we're adding so many things and we're doing so many amazing things and we have all these activities that are happening, that is so easy to, to pursue all these other things and, mo and miss the most important thing, which is love. Because this is what this passage is saying is that, hey, you can do all these things. You can prophesy. You can even do good works and give stuff um, to the poor, which are all good things to do. But you can do all these things and actually miss out on love. Um, and a mark of maturity is actually not growing in all these other facets or growing in busyness or growing in activity. Some of the things that we might think are marks of maturity. What Paul says here is that the, the, the ways of childishness is, is when you love less well, when you're not loving as much. And I think this is also a really important message for us to kind of meditate upon is because love is not easy. Love is not easy. Um, and I think it's actually in many ways getting harder and harder to do in the world that we live in. Uh, I'm an elder millennial, so I remember a time before the internet. And I don't know, I think like, like it's the, the coolest thing is to be like an elder millennial where you can like do the before and after broadband, actually before and after dial-up. You know, how many people remember dial-up where it's like, yeah, dial-up was a thing. Um, and, and when I was growing up, one of the things that was a, a consistent criticism of the church and that you hear a lot is that people would say, oh, the church is a really judgmental place or the church is a place where, where I feel, um, yeah, I feel bad because people would judge me and people would, would, um, would make me feel bad about myself. And, and the funny thing is, um, that in this day and age, I don't feel like that is as much of a criticism of the church anymore, that the church is too judgmental. That still comes up from time to time where people would say that. But I think more in this day and age, people would say the, the criticism out here is that the church lacks integrity or there's hypocrisy within the church or the church is being oppressive. And sometimes they would say that the church is not being judgmental enough that we actually let people get away with all sorts of things that we shouldn't let people get away with. But the, the notion that the church is so judgmental, so much more judgmental than the world is no longer being applied because we have found that maybe it's not the church that is judgmental, but people, because we have found that the world is actually quite a judgmental place. And, and regardless of what our political persuasion is, um, I think we all are aware of cancel culture and have all experienced that in, in, in our own ways, that it, regardless of um, what your perspective is on issues, um, there, there is a, a bit of a pressure to maybe kind of present um, your perspective on this issue or that issue. And I, I think one of the reasons why this has become more of a thing in our generation is because we now live in a time post-internet being widely available, and we live in a time where social media has really changed. Uh, early In early days, social media was just really like... Uh, 
like like a glorified yellow pages right like it was just a way to connect with people uh you know you could catch up with high school friends that you haven't seen in a really long time was friends still a thing here Oh, <laughs> Jerry, I see that hand. I appreciate, I appreciate that. Yeah, we, we had Friendster, um, we had uh, a MySpace. MySpace, what, what's the name of the dude who's everyone's friend? Tom, yeah, where's Tom? Tom was everybody's friend. Like there was MySpace and it was like an era where we were using social media more to connect. But at some point, um, social media um, was a place not just to connect, but to actually express our perspective. Um, it used to be political issues was happening. There was always going to be conflict. There was always going to be, um, you know, like different contentious issues. But the only people who were verbalizing their perspectives were news, um, news media people, politicians. But it wasn't possible for all of us to actually know everybody else's perspective. It was only with social media where you're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know my grandma thought about this on this particular issue. How many people are stuck in a WhatsApp group with their family members where you're like, my goodness, all the conspiracy theories are just like all there. And we didn't know. We had no capacity to actually hear everyone's perspective. And then people were like, you know what? Maybe the church has a point about judging people <laughs> because we're all kind of like judging each other a little bit more. And that's kind of like the 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 culture of our world now is people are less worried about um being judgmental than about being judgmental about the right things that is just the prevailing culture of the world now regardless of which um you know um stance you take or what tribe you kind of find yourself um politically and i think that as um people who follow jesus um we need to be so so vigilant, um, especially this year, because this year is the biggest election year in the history of the world. Um, there are elections taking place in Russia. There's a election that just took place in Taiwan, UK, India, El Salvador, South Africa, and of, of course, the United States of America. They, they suspect that 4 billion people um, have the capacity to vote this year in, in important elections. Um, and it feels like the world has become so much smaller because of the internet and in a lot of ways it's a really positive thing so i do think that um the internet and social media has allowed um, many of us to develop empathy for people that we otherwise wouldn't be able to but on the flip side it feels like now everyone is forced to almost have a perspective on so many issues where back in the day you didn't know no one watched the seven o'clock news like as it, it wasn't a thing that had as much pressure kind of heaving us all the time and um, with that kind of pressure, I do think that it is actually harder to, to have, a, a, you know, to exercise a kind of love that reflects scripture. But a place that I think um, faced, faced a lot of the issues that we face today is the city of Corinth, where Paul is writing this letter to. Um, so I think, do we have, no, we don't have the map, but we're not going to put the picture just yet. We're not going to put the picture up just yet. Um, but the city of Corinth at the time where Paul was writing to the, um, to the church there, um, it was the third most important city in the Roman Empire. It was the third most important city after Rome and Alexandria. It was basically a commercial port um, that kind of bridged between Asia and Europe. And so it was very multicultural. A lot of industry is happening. There's a lot of money, very cosmopolitan, very multicultural. Um, it also had a really important, like there were also a people that love sports. So there are like four ancient um 
um, ancient like sporting events back in the day. The one that we know is the Olympics. So the Olympics still happens today, but there was also the Isthmus Games. And that's one of the four really important games was taking place. So like Corinth was like the city to be in. It was like bustling. It was happening. Many things happening there. Um, but it was also a very um, multicultural place. And so it was a city of many gods. And the interesting thing about the city of Corinth is probably the most important god or the most important temple that was being worshipped in the city of Corinth was Aphrodite, who was the goddess of love, the goddess of love. So I think we have a picture of the temple of Aphrodite. So this is a recreation of what it looked like in the city of Corinth, courtesy of Assassin's Creed, because apparently, um, I don't know, I don't play Assassin's Creed, but apparently they recreated, um, they recreated that. So I don't know how true um, that is, but um, so we can take it down now. But all the other research that I have done um, corroborates that Corinth um, is the most important place of worship for um, Aphrodite, and they had many temp they had multiple temples devoted to Aphrodite in that place. Um, and it's just such an interesting thing that this very, very famous passage about love is spoken into a context that would probably kind of have been like the Paris of their day, like the city of love, you know, because they are known um, for this famous um, temple. And it might actually have been an unlikely place for the church to take root and for the gospel um, to take root. Acts 18 is where we see that um, the apostle Paul went to Corinth and established the church. And you might think this is not a place where the church would actually take hold and the church would actually flourish. It would be kind of like a place like um, New York or even like a place like Melbourne or Sydney. Like when you have everything, you have all the you have all the different worldviews, you have wealth, you have money, you have entertainment, you have all these things. The church could not flourish there. The church could not take root there. But that is one of the places where the church actually flourished. Um, but this is not a church that didn't have problems. They actually had a lot of problems. First Corinthians is um, possibly the longest pastoral letter that Paul writes to a church. And the reason why he's writing this really long letter is because Zoom was not available and they had a lot of issues. They had a lot of issues that they wanted to go through. Um, very early in the, in the letter, this is what Paul says. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there be no divisions among you, but you're, that you are perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, <laughs> Chloe is the, the one who basically is like <laughs> telltale, right? Chloe, <laughs> you know, there's always someone, you know, writes a letter to Paul, like, Paul, things are not good. So, so some from Chloe's household has informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another says, I follow Cephas. And still another say, I follow Christ. And so what you will read in Corinthians is they are fighting over so many different things. They're fighting over theology. They're fighting over um, the leaders that they're following. They're fighting over sexual ethics. Um, they are suing each other in court. Um, they talk about, is it better to be married? Is it better to be single? Um, they were talking about food and idols. And they were fighting over the Lord's Supper. Um, there was issues about economic and class differences. They were fighting over spiritual gifts. It is in the context of all these divisions and all these issues that 1 Corinthians 13 is being read. Like this is a church that is growing. There's a lot of activity. There's things happening. God is moving. And yet love is a challenge. Love is a challenge. 
Um, and so one of the things that we need to ask back then and today is what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> that is a terrible, I looked up the lyrics of the song. I don't understand. I don't understand the song, but, but we need to ask the question, what is love? What, what is love? Like the world will have a definition of love today. Um, and maybe even for people in this room, like maybe we all have different definitions of what love is. But when we see the city of Corinth, what is really interesting is that in the temple of Aphrodite is that um, a lot of ancient scholars believe that it is probably one of the most prominent places where there are where there's temple prostitution, and that is not just um, that's not just um, confined to the temple of Aphrodite in Corinth. Apparently, this was a practice in multiple temples, but this was one of the most prominent places where it was practiced, um, and. That was just kind of mind-blowing to me that the temple of the goddess of love is associated with a transactional activity where basically it seems like if people would, would give money to the temple that they would then be able to have sex with these temple prostitutes. And, and that seems so jarring and so, so wild and maybe none of us um, you know, would, would, would have that perspective of love where, you know, we would say, you know, I, you know, we, we don't pay for sex or, or we, we don't partic participate in, in things like that. But I wonder whether this is just the end extreme of how a lot of us love people, which is we decide whether to give or withhold our affection based on people's performance. That in some ways we are conditional with the way we love people um, depending on how they actually perform. And maybe we don't, um, we, we, you know, it's not something as crass as what was happening back in those days, but depending on whether people believe the right things or whether, whether people act the right way, we're going to love them. That, that, that is how um, we choose to love. But that is not what scripture tells us how God's love operates. And I love, again, um, Lockie's story, which is, it sounds like your friends loved you even while you were on the journey, right? Like it wasn't something where you had to arrive before um, you earned their affections. Um, and so we, we should look at what scripture actually tells us, the kind of love that God talks about. Um, and we see that love according to God is not simply um, what he does, but it's also who he is. In 1 John 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not, know, does not know God because God is love. So God is not, like love is not just something that God does, but love is actually so intrinsic to God's nature that love is who God is. And we, we, we find in scripture that God's love is actually unconditional and unmerited that is not actually based on our performance, but is based on the fact that we have a relationship with him, that we belong to him. And the way I, I can think about it is like, um, you know, some of us might have, have things in our lives, possessions in our lives um, that we have affection for, that we love, like maybe an old jacket that is like tattered and torn, but it's not actually much use, but you have so much love and affection for it. Um, it's like an unconditional, you can't bear to throw it out because it's yours, you not because of its worthiness of its use, but because you have a relationship with it. And so this is something that um, 
uh, a third century um, North African Christian says, uh, lactentious, lactentious. Well, we'll go with that. Um, and he's just talking about the way the early church loved people. He says, if we all derive our origin from one man whom God created, as we are plainly all one family, therefore it must be considered an abomination to hate another human, no matter how guilty he may be. For this reason, God has decreed that we should hate no one, but that we should eliminate hatred. So we can comfort our enemies by reminding them of our mutual relationship. For if we have all been given life from the same God, what else are we but brothers? Because we are all brothers, God teaches us to never do evil to one another, but only good, giving aid to those who are oppressed and experiencing hardship and giving food to the hungry. That's a really, um, that's a really intense um, passage to love another person um, to, simply by recognizing that they are an image bearer of God, that they are someone that God actually created. That is the call that God has for every single one of us in this room. And there are many um, scholars that would suggest that the modern notion of human rights actually has Christian origins um, because it's saying that you deserve a right not because of what you can do or the value that you can give to this world. You deserve rights simply because you're human, because you have intrinsic value and intrinsic worth. And that comes from the perspective that every single person is created in the image of God. Um, but beyond talking about what love is, I think it's also important to talk what love is not. And it's really important in this day and age to understand that love is not necessarily approval. That love is not necessarily agreement. In fact, we see in so much of scripture, Jesus, um, as with the rich young ruler, it talks about how he loved the rich young ruler, but still rebuked him. So love is not agreement um, and affection is not the same as acceptance. Um, and in fact, the, the way the entire gospel works is by recognizing that we are flawed and that we all have issues and that's why god has to forgive us because there's nothing to forgive if we haven't done anything wrong and i think in this day and age we live in a time where we can equate approval with um with love and that's not actually um that's not actually the same thing and it's a little old school but i feel like the old school saying is true that we can love the sin we can love the sinner and hate the sin and that we can love the sinner and hate the sin. And that actually that's something that God is calling all of us to return to. Um, Matthew 5 um, verses 43 to 48. This is another really challenging passage that I think um, for those of us who are Christians, we wish we were not in the Bible. Uh, so it says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? Man, tax collectors get a special rap, <laughs> like just like, like just <laughs> identified. Even tax collectors do that. Like they must be a really bad lot. Um, and if you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus is like saying, be perfect, uh, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, easy for you to say, Jesus, you're Jesus, you know? But it's a lot harder for the, for the rest of us because it is hard to love people who persecute us. It is hard to love people who have a different perspective 
um, than, than we do. And so oh, the, one of the questions that we have to ask is how do we as imperfect people love imperfect people? How do we as imperfect people love imperfect people? Um, and there's just a couple of thoughts um, that, that I have and I hope that we can put into practice um, this year. And, and firstly is be mindful of the company you keep and the advice you follow. Be mindful of the company you keep and the advice you follow. So the Apostle Paul goes on to write in 1 Corinthians in, verse, um, in chapter 15, it says, Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Bad company corrupts good character. And so even from, you know, and there's like a really famous saying, you know, show me your friends and I'll show you your future, right? Like the people that we, we hang around and we let influence us is a huge determinant of the, the path that we take and the, and the way um, we're going to go. And um, in, in a way, back in the day, you actually had to be friends with people in order for this to, to connect. But because we now live in a time where we have access to social media and all these kind of things, we actually have so many people who have a capacity to influence us. Um, and we don't even necessarily have a personal relationship with them. And we need to be mindful of who we're letting speak into our lives. And it is not just mindful of people who aren't Christian. We've got to be mindful of people who are Christian, but not acting in the way of Christ. We, we need to understand that not all who follow Jesus are always following in the way of Jesus. Not all who follow Jesus are always following in the ways of Jesus. And that doesn't mean that they don't love God. It doesn't mean that they don't, they're not trying their best. It also just means that they are human, that they, they sometimes um, mess up. And we see that even in scripture um, from the inner circle of Jesus, um, of James, John, and Peter. So there's this instant in Luke chapter 9 where James, John, and Peter, who were basically the BFFs of, of, of Jesus, um, and they wanted to go into Samaria. And James and John were a little bit upset. So I'm just going to read this. Um, and Jesus sent messages on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? <laughs> but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And then he and his disciples went to another village. So this is James and John, besties of Jesus, who basically wanted to call down fire on a Samaritan village for not welcoming Jesus. So definitely um, followers of God, definitely people who are friends with Jesus, ultimately counted among the disciples and the apostles, and yet they can go a different way. This is James, James and John. And then we also have Peter, who basically, um, when Jesus was arrested at the Garden of Gethsemane, what did he do? He cut off this guy's ear, right? This guy, Malchus, um, he cut off his ear. And then Jesus rebuked um, Peter and says, if you live by the sword, you will die by the sword. So this is another person in the inner circle of Jesus who was not acting in the way of Jesus. But what did Jesus do instead? Jesus actually healed the person that arrested him. And the last healing miracle that Jesus did before he went to the cross was to heal somebody that arrested him. That is the way of Jesus. Like the way of Jesus is the one that shows kindness and love and generosity to the enemy and to the people who are far from us. And so even in a setting like this, um, the Apostle Paul says, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so as we imitate like leaders in the church or teachers, we imitate them as they imitate Christ. 
do you get what I'm saying? It's like that we need to ultimately have the word of God ultimately be the guide to, to gauge whether we're letting, you know, how we're following people and to have discernment. Um, and that's why Hebrews 10 is so important. It says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promises faithful and let us consider how we may spur another, one another on towards love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. And so the importance of actually like gathering, um, you know, regularly on a Sunday like this um, in small groups, in large gatherings is because there is a world that is shaping us and has a different way of what love is, where love is based on whether someone has done a lot of good. Um, and if someone goes off track, then they, they get canceled. And, and, and there's all these exposés on YouTube of how terrible this person is and how terrible this person has been in the last couple of decades, overriding every single thing, um, that they have, um, done. But that's not the way of God and that's not the way of Christ. And we actually need to encourage one another and be in a place where we can spur one another on. And when we go off track, that we have a brother or a sister that can then point out our blind spots and reorient ourselves back to the path of Jesus. I'll just invite the worship team back up. So one, so, so one way for us to, to kind of keep to the way of love is to be mindful of the company that we keep and the advice that we follow. So that's one way. But I think the other way um, is to ask God to give us um, another revelation of his love. Like that's just something that is so important um, that no one can do on our behalf. Like we ourselves need to have like a personal connection, like what Lockie has shared, where we're not just hearing it as something that we understand in our head, but it has to drop into our hearts that God actually loves us and pursues us um, passionately. Um, I love um, that in Luke chapter 15, that there are three parables where there's a parable of um, the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost sons. And Jesus was sharing these parables to express how much God loves each and every single one of us. Um, and it's not based on performance. In fact, you know, some of the characters of that story, um, especially in the parable of the lost sons, uh, they messed up. They messed up in a big way and yet they experience the amazing love of the Father because the love that the Father gives is unconditional. And I don't know if all of us um, has a fresh revelation of that, um, that God loves us in that way, that God loves us when we are unlovely, that God loves us when we are unworthy, that God loves us simply for who we are. And when we experience the love of God in that powerful and tangible way, then we are more able to extend that love to other people. Um, when we experience the love of God, when we don't expect it and when we don't deserve it, we are then able to, ex to extend that love to other people when it is hard, when it is challenging. And I, I don't know about you, but in preparing this message, a whole bunch of people came to, my, <laughs> came to my mind of like, so hard to love, so hard to love, so hard to love. And I'm just like, I don't remember it being this hard. I'm like, it's because of social media. I didn't know they were so dumb before, but now I can see. 
I don't know. I might. I'm just saying out loud. I'm just saying out loud what what a lot of us are thinking. But it's real. It's like sometimes it becomes really challenging because the, the the capacity for us to find things that we disagree with is so much more on display today. But then I remember God loves me when I was so silly. God loves me when I was so disobedient and so far away and so yeah, it's just so unworthy. Um, and if you have ever had a revelation of God loving you like that before, it is a shock. It is it is a surprise. And the natural response is that you want to extend that love to other people. And so I'm going to read this. Um, Passage from First Peter. Peter, the one who not only cuts off um, the the um, you know, the the person who was arresting Jesus, cuts off his ear, but this is also the Peter who ultimately denied Jesus after that, and he was expecting judgment but received grace and his and mercy. So I feel like. Peter had a change of heart because he was really judgmental before because he was like, man, I'm one of the cool ones, one of Jesus' chosen. Um, but then he messed up and he still received the love and the grace of God. And so this is what Peter writes. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and sober-minded so that you may pray. And above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various form. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised to, through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So my prayer for all of us this year, um, and for us as a community is that we won't excel in everything and miss out on the most important thing and that is to receive and to reflect the love of God and so why don't we all stand in this place and because we are all fallen people living in a fallen world I'm sure that um, that there are people that came to our mind or maybe um, we ourselves feel unlovable at this point and we need a fresh revelation of God's love. Um, I'm just going to pray for us and I'm going to let Lock, um, Lockie and the team just lead us in worship and let us just do business with God for a couple more minutes. Spirit of God, we come before you and we we say that we need you. Lord, we just pray, Lord, that you speak to the challenging things in our lives and the challenging situations and the challenging relationships that we might have. And Lord, in, in the place that feels so hopeless, I pray, God, Lord, that there will be um, your hope just shining through and piercing through God I pray for all of us in this place that we will grab a revelation a fresh revelation of your love and your, your kindness towards us that you love us unconditionally 
without merit or favor, God, Lord, that you love us with an unfailing love. And Lord, I just pray, Lord, that as we experience that love in you, that we will be able to extend that um, to the world around us, especially to those who are, to, who are hard to love, God. But we know, Lord, it is, um, nothing is impossible for you, God. Lord, that you are the one who is able to bring reconciliation between the Jew and the Gentile, between the slave and the free, God. You are the one that is able to do the impossible. And so we pray, God, Lord, that you will do the impossible in us and through us.